the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in a study of the book of Leviticus. It is God's desire that His people would be holy, living distinct and separate lives. So he had given the Israelites the moral and ceremonial laws that they would be different from all the other nations of the world. God will now be giving them their civil laws. We join Pastor Will in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 1. So a little bit of context on how we've gotten to this point. Remember, Leviticus is the third book of the Pentateuch, or the books of Moses, the law of Moses. And Genesis starts it all off, shows us where everything began, how everything went horribly wrong, and then how God, his plan of redemption began as he chose a man, and then through his descendants, continued to pass on this promise that, that he would, through him all, the peoples of the earth would be blessed. It was interesting being over in Israel, we were at the garden tomb in Golgotha, and our guide said, you know, it's fascinating, there's people of every tribe, every tongue, every nation who are here. There was a group of folks who came from East Asia who were over there, a group from Indonesia who was in another spot, uh, there's a German group was in the little area right next to us, and then of course us from America. The idea here is that God has, through this promise, uh, through Christ, truly all the nations of the earth have been blessed. And that promise came to Abraham, went to Isaac, and then to Jacob, and then of course God leads them down into Egypt for their protection, but then they become enslaved there. And 400 years later, God renews the covenant, renews the promise, says, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt. I'm going to bring you into the land I promised to you, and I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people. And in Exodus, we see God. He's already fulfilled that promise of bringing them out of Egypt with a strong right hand, a strong arm. And then we begin to see how he forms that relationship with them through the tabernacle where they will come and worship him. Now we get to Leviticus, and the tabernacle's built, but now it's like, okay, you're my people. You have this relationship with me, but I'm not just any other God. I am the only God and you're going to be different like me. And so the theme of the book Leviticus is called to be holy. He had called his people to be different, to be unique, to be light shining in a dark world. And he's been explaining that all through the book of Leviticus. He explained to them how they would approach him, how they would come to him different than the pagans would. They would come through these offerings and all those offerings symbolize something. He had the three offerings that were voluntary, the burnt offering, the offering of full surrender, the peace offering when you just wanted to hang out with God, the grain offering when you wanted to dedicate a period of time of service to him. Then you have the two mandatory offerings, the trespass offering and the sin offering. Uh, The difference being sin is when you don't intend to do the wrong thing, but you fall short. Trespass is when you knew full well what you're doing was wrong. And praise the Lord, Jesus died for that too. Amen. And then we see that now that the sacrifices have been constituted, the priests have been anointed, fire shoots down from heaven and ignites the altar and it's begun, where now they're going to begin to fellowship with him. And after that, he begins to show them how they're going to be a ritually pure people, how they're going to be able to approach him, his holy, perfect presence. But we have finished that, and now when we get to chapter 19, we come to the laws that are going to govern their society, their social order in their society. I say this now because we're entering into a realm where we're going to read about a lot of laws that don't apply to us. 
Maybe you've wondered before, how do we know which laws from the Old Testament apply to us and which ones don't? A lot of times you'll hear atheists or agnostics or critiques of Christianity or the Bible. They will say, well, you guys just pick and choose what parts you want. Is that true? Do we pick and choose what we like and what we don't? This is Christianity and this isn't? Certainly not. The law of Moses is divided into three sections. You have the moral laws, the ceremonial laws, and the civil laws. The moral laws of God, are they never change. It's never okay to lie. It's never okay to steal. It's never okay to murder. It's never okay to, to have an idol in your life. It's never okay to covet your neighbor's stuff. It's never okay to commit adultery. We find those moral laws embodied in the Ten Commandments. The ceremonial laws, they govern how Israel could have a relationship with God through the tabernacle. And that's what we've been covering up to this point. All of those ceremonial laws are fulfilled in Jesus because he is the burnt offering, he is the grain offering, he is the peace offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering. He is all the things that we've been studying through Leviticus up to this point of how they would have a relationship with him. And because all of those are fulfilled in Jesus, none of them apply to us except to look back and see how Jesus fulfilled them. We don't offer sacrifices anymore because he is our sacrifice, right? So the ceremonial laws don't apply to us. The civil laws, the third group, they governed Israeli society. Now, since Christians are not a nation, but are under the new covenant of Christ's spiritual kingdom. Remember when Jesus stood before Pilate and he said, are you a king? And he said, you say correctly that I'm a king, but my kingdom is not of this world. Otherwise my servants would fight. You'd be in trouble, Pilate. But my kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, a kingdom of truth. We do not see Christ's kingdom on earth yet, which is why we pray, what? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're praying for more than anything. I got back from Israel and the very next day I looked on the internet and Israel had bombed Syria. And, and I thought to myself, I was just four days removed from the border of Syria, you know? And you think this whole area of the world is, is a wreck. And we pray, Lord, bring your kingdom because that's the only way there's gonna be peace on earth. We do not see that kingdom yet. We're not a nation. We are part of a spiritual kingdom. Therefore, the social and civil laws of Israeli society, they don't have any bearing to us either. And we're gonna begin to get into those tonight. So the question then is, why study them if they don't apply to us? Well, there are principles behind those laws that governed Israeli society that give us a glimpse into God's heart, attitudes toward others that we see mirrored in New Testament teaching and commandments, because we're called to be different too, not just Israel, right? In First Peter, the statement in Leviticus that is said, be ye holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. It's echoed in First Peter chapter two, where he says the very same thing, be ye holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. While the laws and the rules don't specifically apply to us, the attitudes behind them, these attitudes of holiness do. And so my heart is that as we go through this, that we'll see these attitudes of holiness, these beatitudes in a sense that are similar to what Jesus spoke of in the Sermon on the Mount, that they would speak to our heart and we would have those attitudes in our lives as well. So chapter 19, verse one. And the Lord spake unto Moses saying, speak unto all congregation of the children of Israel and say unto them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God am holy. You shall fear every man his mother and his father and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord, your God. Turn you not unto idols, nor make to yourself molten gods. I am the Lord, your God. So the first attitude of holiness that we see here is that it remembers God's eternal laws, his moral laws, which never change. He starts off here by saying, tell the children of Israel, the whole congregation, and say unto them, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. 
That word holy there means morally unique and pure. We are to be different than the world around us. We are to be pure. We are to be morally clean. We're to be morally in obedience to God. And his moral laws never, ever change. We see here three of the Ten Commandments repeated. The commandment to honor your father and mother, to keep the Sabbath, and then to not be involved in idolatry. Those still apply to us. You should always respect your parents, honor your father and mother. You should always treat them with reverence. It grieves God when we don't. We should never give our love to worthless, empty things. We should give our love to him. He's the only thing we should worship. And we should keep the Sabbath. You may be saying, hold on, time out. What do you mean keep the Sabbath, Will? We don't, we don't keep the Sabbath. We don't not work from 6 p.m. on Friday to 6 p.m. on Saturday. It's funny, when, when I was in Israel, uh, our tour guide said, our favorite holiday of all the festivals we celebrate is the Sabbath. He says, why we celebrate it every week. <laughs> he said, 52 times a year we celebrate it. That's how they approach it. It is a huge party. I mean, like they broke out the Bruno Mars and everything once 6 p.m. hit on Saturday. The kids were all dancing upstairs. They're like, you know, you know whatever. That's the closest you're ever going to see me to doing anything like that. I am mortally mortified at myself right now. But, you know, they are just dancing it up, living it up, going for it. They wear these crazy hats and they dress up and everything. It is a full-blown party when the Sabbath is over. And so they do that. We don't do that. And the reason is, is because we celebrate the Sabbath every single day. See, the Bible says that we rest from our labors of trying to work our way to heaven because we put our faith in Christ. And so we do celebrate. The Bible says there remains a Sabbath for the people of God, even for us as Christians today. But we celebrate it every single day. We rest in the finished work of Christ. Amen? So that's how we keep the Sabbath. It's a moral law and it's eternal. And we keep it that way. The second attitude of holiness, it doesn't ritualize time with God. Look at verse five. The Lord says to Moses, and if you offer a sacrifice of peace offerings unto the Lord, you shall offer it at your own will. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it and on the next day. But if anything remains until the third day, you need to burn it with fire. And if it be eaten at all on the third day, well, it's abominable. It shall not be accepted. Therefore, everyone that eats it shall bear his iniquity because he has profaned the hallowed thing of the Lord and that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Here we find that the Lord says, listen, if you're gonna offer a sacrifice of peace offerings unto the Lord, you're gonna do it at your own will. The peace offering, remember, was the offering you wanted to bring when you just wanted to spend time with God or you wanted to thank him for something. And you know, in our devotion times with the Lord, the times we're just spending time with him, reading his word or singing to him or praying to him, there are times when we exercise discipline in our quiet time with God. And that's a mark of maturity. Sometimes we don't just do it because we feel like it. We do it because we say, Lord, I need to spend time with you right now and I wanna do that. But our regular motive for worshiping and for praying and for spending time reading our Bible should be love, right? We just love the Lord. We just wanna hang out with him, right? So is it or is it a chore? We often neglect time with Jesus because at some point it becomes a list to fulfill. I'm a Christian, so I've got to read my Bible. Or I serve at the church. I'm a leader, so I need to pray. Because if I'm not praying, that's bad because leaders should pray. You're right, leaders should pray. But we should be doing it out of love for him. I remember there was a time in my life when my devotion time had gotten a little stale. And the Lord said, I want to revive this. I want you to go on a walk with me around the neighborhood. I'm like, okay. So I went on a walk and while I was walking, I would pray. And it was just so peaceful and restful. It was very fresh. And I brought my Bible with me. And when I would get to, we had this retention pond in our neighborhood and they had benches out there. And I would go sit on a bench and I opened my Bible and I'd read. And it was so rich. It just really sparked my whole devotion life, my prayer life and everything. And it was great. But you know what happened after a few years? 
I started to feel like if I didn't go on my walk, I wasn't really having a worthy devotion. It had become legalistic again. And so I remember the one time the Lord said, stop going on walks, <laughs> you know. But Lord, you told me to go on walks. Yeah, but now it's become a list to fulfill. The Lord talks about in the book of Isaiah how his, the offerings that they would bring, they would make God nauseous, make him want to vomit. Because it's like you're just going through the motions. It's not something that is meaningful or matters to you. What happens is when we make our devotion time a list or something that we have to fulfill, then we find other things to do instead and it becomes a chore. And you know, I would ask you, is your time in the word or your time in prayer like that now? Where it's kind of a chore and you put it off and you get to it if you, if you can or you get to it when you feel so guilty you need to get to it. God didn't want that for Israel. When they brought these peace offerings, he says, you bring it of your own will. I want you to do this because you just want to be with me. And so what he did was, is he gave them some rules to help them cultivate that attitude. Verse six, he says, it shall be eaten the same day. So when you bring the offering, you remember the peace offering, some cooked on the altar, that was God's plate. And then some was given to the priest and then some you would eat. And you'd call your, usually your friends and family together and it'd be a big celebration as you just were hanging out with the Lord. And so he says, listen, if you're gonna eat that food, you eat it the same day you offer it and you can also eat it the very next day. He says, but if anything is left over on the third day, I don't want you eating it then. I want you to just burn it with fire. And if you do eat it on the third day, it's abominable. I won't accept it. What is the Lord saying here? Well, you ever noticed how some meals reheat well pretty good once? You know, you have dinner and then leftovers the next day and it reheats really well once, but they tend to start losing their flavor after a couple of days. Well, our time with the Lord is very similar. You can have a great experience with God one day as you hear his voice and his word speaks to you and then learning new things from his word and sensing his presence. It might even carry you to the next day. You still feel that his voice and that freshness from what he spoke to you the day before, but it seldom lasts beyond that. Seldom by does that carry you into day number three. We need fresh conversations with the Lord, letting him speak to us through his word and us speaking back to him when we apply those truths to our lives. The Lord says, if you're gonna take a third day and you're gonna use that meat, he says, I'm not gonna accept it. It's abominable. Literally, it means it's rotten, contaminated, and unclean. That happens to us sometimes. Some Christians, they live based on great times that they had with God that happened not three days ago, but three or even 30 years ago. And I've had those conversations. You start them and you start like this and be like, yeah, oh, that was great, Pastor. Well, that's wonderful. You know, that reminded me of the time 30 years ago when we first started the church and we had this rich moment with the Lord. And the problem is you hear that story every time they talk about how awesome God is. And you start to ask the question and go, have you had any awesome times with God since then? That gets stale over time. It becomes contaminated. It becomes rotten. Moses says here, therefore, everyone that eats of it shall bear his iniquity. He's in sin if he does it. Why? Because he has profaned that holy thing of the Lord. And that soul shall be cut off from among his people. The word profane means to make something common, to take away what's special about it. See, when I'm living on experiences that happened long ago in my relationship with the Lord, I profane something that was very special and something holy. I make it a common thing, like a talisman. I can whip out every once in a while and go, oh yeah, God's really cool. Yet I'm not having a living relationship with God. And God didn't want Israel's peace offerings to become like that. Being holy obviously refers to a pure and obedient life. But the base of that pure and obedient life isn't because we're separating ourselves from a bunch of bad things. It's the natural byproduct of separating myself to the Lord. Do you see the difference? J. Vernon McGee was asked one time, what does sanctification mean in holiness and separation? How do we stay separate from the world? And he said, I don't think you need to stay separate from the world. I think you just need to stay close to Jesus and that will keep you far from the world. 
Sometimes we do that. You're like, ooh, stay away from that. And it's like, well, if you're staying close to Jesus, you don't have to worry about staying away from anything bad. Because trust me, there won't be anything impure around him. Because when I'm sitting at his feet and I see how much he loves me, how his heart is toward me, and I long to please his heart, to make him smile, that's a good place to be, right? So is your heart far from the Lord right now? Is your devotion time or your prayer time, has it become kind of a chore or a list? Has it been dry lately? Just come and sit at his feet again. Let him wash you in his word. Let him breathe new life into you. The third attitude of holiness is it's generous to the needy. Look at verse nine. He says, and when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, neither shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. The idea here in being generous to the needy, he says, don't cut down every little thing. The corners of your field would be the edges or the boundaries. He said, don't go out of your way to make sure you get every single barley leaf off there. Don't worry about getting every little thing. Go through and whatever's left over after you make a pass through, he says, just leave it there. And the reason is, is you leave it for the poor. Neither shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. You say, how do you know that, Will? Well, we have another passage which explains Israel's welfare program. Israel's welfare program was two things. A, you didn't harvest everything in your field. You left some of it for the poor on purpose. And then if you dropped anything along the way, you didn't pick it up, you left it for them as well. And then what they had to do is they had to go out and work for it. They had to go out and harvest it up because it was still there. That was Israel's welfare program. It's a great principle, a great concept. We struggle with that. It's so funny because we're so polarized as a nation. You know, you've got one group and it's like, they're poor because they made bad decisions, let them starve. That's really like Jesus. And then you've got this other group that's like, they need the newest cell phone and they need a nice car and they need seven TVs and they need to feel special. And it's like, I gotta get a job. You've got a balance that you've got to have there. People that have gotten those things, it's because they've worked very hard and they've put in the education and they've put in the hard work to move up and God's prospered them for their hard work. And so they can enjoy some of those really nice things. All of us aren't owed those things. We went to the village of Magdala when we were there. Now I know how David saw Bathsheba. Do you know what a house looked like back then? It's probably as from here to that music stand and back to that guitar and back to me. And that was it. That was a home back then. That was how it was. And what you would do is you would have five homes, three in the back and two on the side, and they would share a courtyard out here. And ladies, that's where you took your bath. You took your bath outside in that courtyard. That's where you shared the cooking area. You shared all the prep area and everything. That's how you lived life. Went to Magdala. You're like, oh, is this somebody's home? And tour guides, that's five homes. You're like, what? How on earth is that even possible? We have it really good. (laughs) We have it really good. We need to be thankful for what we have. We're not owed nice things. God loves to bless us, doesn't he? And when you ask him for those things, I've asked, I said, Lord, it'd be really nice to have this. And you know what? He's so kind and so gracious. If it's not gonna be a bad thing for me, he so often has just said, you bet, Will. I will bless you. But we need to realize that that's all it is. It's just his blessing and his kindness. He doesn't owe that to us. We don't need that to be happy or to have good lives. Most people throughout the world and throughout history have lived very simple lives and they've had wonderful joy and happiness. So he says, you leave the edges out there for them. And if you drop anything, that's what the gleanings are. If it falls down while you're in the harvest process, you leave it there. Same holds true for vineyards, verse 10. And you shall not glean your vineyard, neither shall you gather every grape of your vineyard, but you shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger, the foreigner. I am the Lord, your God. Two things here. They were to purposely set aside some for the poor, and then they were to allow what was available after a harvest to remain for the poor. And I would ask you, this attitude of of generosity to the needy, do you have it? Are you generous? All of us should always have something set aside to help those who are poor. And all of us should be willing to let the needy have something when God asks it of us. You say, well, that's mine. 
No, it's not. Everything you have is God's. And if he says, hey, I would like you to bless somebody with that, trust me. The Bible says, he that lends to the poor lends to the Lord. And God is a debtor to no man. So he'll take care of you. You might be saying, but I don't know what they'll do with it. I refuse to be an enabler. You realize the Bible has literally nothing to say about that in regards to personal generosity? Absolutely nothing. In fact, it says something totally opposite. Turn to Luke chapter six, verse 35. These are the Beatitudes. These are the rules for Christ's kingdom. That's how we as Christians, our attitude should be towards others. But love your enemies. Love you, your enemies, and do good. And what? Lend. Oh, okay, so I can let them borrow it. No, look at what it says. Hoping for nothing again, nothing in return. And your word shall be great and you shall be the children of the highest for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Do you see that? So who's the group of people he's telling you're supposed to give to here? The unthankful, the evil, and your enemy. Those three. If any of those people out there, oh, I think he'll buy booze or I think he'll do this. Listen, that's not your worry. That's not your concern. Your concern is to be obedient and generous. The Lord will deal with them. So often I wonder if we worry about what somebody's gonna do with something because of how they look. We're not generous and we miss out on the things God wants to do through us. We miss out on blessing somebody. You say, but Will, I don't wanna be taken advantage of. Well, God kind of does that all the time, doesn't he? The Bible says that he spent every drop of his blood to purchase the world, even though the whole world wouldn't believe. Jesus tells us to do this. Surely an enemy is someone who looks and lives for everything you oppose. Look at Romans chapter 12 with me. This is not the only place it says this. It says it all throughout. I had about 15 verses lined up and I realized that's a Bible study by itself. So I'm just giving you two tonight. Romans 12, verses 20 and 21. Therefore, verse 20, if your enemy hunger, what does it say? Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you shall heap coals of fire on his head. That's not to get him back. I covered this in Romans, but that was a blessing. The idea of having someone fill your basket with coals was a blessing to somebody. But here it is. Be not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, but they look like they're the worst person in the world. Okay, well, you do a good thing and overcome evil with good. Don't fight evil with an evil attitude. Well, God, I'm not gonna be generous to them because they do evil. Really? Jesus says, lend to him that does evil. Lend to your enemy and do good to them, not expecting anything in return. It's not our job to worry about the outcome. It's our job to be generous. Let's be generous Christians, amen? Back in Leviticus 19, we get to verse 11, and we see the next attitude of holiness is it's honest. Holiness is honest. He says in chapter 19, verse 11, you shall not steal. Neither deal falsely, neither lie one to another. And you shall not swear by my name falsely. Neither shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not defraud your neighbor, neither rob him. For the wages of him that is hired, you shall not, they shall not abide with you all night until the morning. Here we have a lot of things that speak of honesty in our dealings with others. First, he says, don't steal, neither deal falsely. The word there means don't break your side of the bargain. You keep your end of the bargain. Neither lie one to another. And you shall not swear by my name falsely. In other words, don't use God's name to mislead someone. Don't say like, oh yeah, as the Lord lives, I'll have these two donkeys over here for you by the end of the night. And then you just scoot with the money. Don't you use my name to try to make a deal and then go back on it. Don't swear falsely by my name falsely. Neither shall you profane the name of your God. Don't make my name a common thing that you could just throw out there at any time because I'm the Lord. You shall not defraud your neighbor. The word defraud there refers to nonviolent theft like extortion or oppression. 
Neither rob him. This refers to violent theft, you know, seizing or snatching away something through violence. And then next it says, the wages of him that is hired, you're not going to keep his money all night until the morning. You pay him that day. Now, unlike most of our jobs here in the States, back then in that culture, you had to pay your hired workers the same day. You hired them that day and you paid them at the end of the day. This is because he needed that money that day. That's why the Bible says, give us this day our what? daily bread. These things were not something they kept in store. They didn't keep money. They didn't have banks. They didn't do those things back then, unless you were incredibly wealthy. So the idea here is if you're an employer, don't ever hold back pay for work done to somebody. Yeah, but I don't know if they're going to leave, you know, or I don't know if they're going to do this or whatever. I I had a boss once that did that to people. And I just, and he was a Christian. I just thought to myself, that is just so wrong. They've worked for it. I don't, you hired them. You contracted with them. Well, they weren't working very hard. Well, you know what? That's for God to deal with, not you. You contracted with them for a wage. Pay the wage, man. Don't cheat your employees. Pay your employees and pay them fairly. Why? Why not do any of these things? See, because an attitude of holiness recognizes that all prosperity comes from the Lord, right? Prosperity doesn't come from the east or the west. It comes from the Lord. He's either going to prosper or he's going to not. That trying to get ahead by cunning or deceit or bullying tactics isn't trusting the Lord. The attitude of holiness understands that. And you know, God is generous to those who trust him and are honest in their dealings with others. God wants us to lead holy lives. Remember, the word holy means separate, pulled out of. We are to live lives that are different from the rest of the world because we have seen God. We have seen his mighty hand, his loving outstretched arms, and his presence in our daily life. Reviewing Leviticus 19, we saw holiness, realizes God's eternal law, doesn't ritualize spending time with God, is generous to the poor, and is honest in its dealings with others. Let's be holy as God is holy. If you have any spiritual or physical need, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.